Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we have the second half of our neonatal application episode. I'm joined again by Chris Corse, one of the neonatal grid trainees currently working in Singleton Hospital, and by Lucy Perkins, one of the neonatal consultants working in the same hospital. Today we discuss what drew Lucy into neonatology, and then both Lucy and Chris will discuss how to improve our performance in the neonatal interviews. Anyway, let's get started. Um, so Lucy, it'd be great to get to know you a bit as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your medical career today? Sure. So I was, so I'm from far west country bumpkin Wales and a farmer's daughter. So the, the first big culture shock with me for me was going to med school in London. So I went to med school in Imperial and um, did an intercalated degree there and then did my first F1 job in London um, and my F2 in Devon, in Torbay. They used to call it Torbaydo. Um, You had to be at least about 85 before you were remotely classed as elderly there. So um, yeah, it, that was a lovely place as well. So, um, and then came to Wales for my paediatric training. I guess I'd always intended to come back to Wales um, and practice there and I think it's really interesting listening to Chris as well at these crossroads in our careers and in our lives where we where we make these decisions that you know hugely shape our careers and our lives what influences us and he's made me sort of reflect on that as well so I remember at that stage thinking I wanted to do radiology so I'd had a big role model in medical school who was a radiologist and, um, you, know, you know, I liked it. I liked the image and I liked the interpretation. Um, but someone said to me, Lucy, you can't be a radiologist and sit in a dark room all day. Um, you know, you like patients. You need, you need to work with patients. And um, I think that really resonated with me. And what I do know from practicing medicine and and from my experience and that's how we all make these decisions isn't it it's what we've lived through and people we've met is that I'm quite a social beast and I really um enjoy working with people um and working with patients so I think I think then it made me reflect and peds was the obvious choice for me um in in many ways and as Chris said I, I love that environment um pediatric is really uh, you know, a wonderful, rewarding and upbeat um, specialty to work within. And I, I and I really, you know, fell in love with 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 that side of it. I, I genuinely, for the life of me, cannot picture you as a radiologist. It's about, it's about as far from paediatrics. And you're as paediatrics-y a person as I've ever met. <laughs> Thank you. The most paediatrics-y person you've ever met is quite an accolade. <laughs> The thought of Lucy Perkins sat in a darkened room all day makes me quite sad, if I'm honest. So I'm, I'm glad you chose paediatrics. 
Oh, thank you both. I think um, I do. I don't know if this says a lot about my maturity level, but I do. Uh, I feel like I'm on a level with children, <laughs> um, and and I do. I, I do love working with children of all ages, and I I am aware that I am now a neonatologist, but. I think an important thing to say probably as well is that um, not everyone has an epiphany moment and and when we reach these crosses in the roads there's often lots of things we've enjoyed or different aspects of different things we've enjoyed but it's a really exciting time whether it's deciding your specialty deciding to go into grid training consultant interviews to really dig down and reflect on what what do I love what parts of the job do I love what am I good at and where can I make a difference yeah, I totally agree with that. I think as well, you know, uh, uh, training is training is quite long, and you know, I wanted to do neonates, but you don't do neonates all along the way, and you get your head turned by some specialties at some point. I was, I loved my paediatric respiratory rotation and ST three, and I my head was very nearly turned there. Um, and it's, I think it's about you know, no job is perfect. It's about the compromise on what you know. There are parts of every job that are not as much fun as the bits that you do enjoy and it's it's trying to work out you know do you enjoy the bits that you love of that specialty for the bits that aren't so great um and it's finding that balance and what you can see yourself doing for the next 20 30 40 years as well i think the the chatting to trainers i think one of the biggest difficulties most of them seem to have isn't that they struggle to pick some uh, a subspecialty that they like it's more that they enjoy so much of the different jobs they do. They can't pick the one that they want to specialize in because they've enjoyed them all. Um, so, so yeah, coming coming back to you, um, to Lucy, what, what was it about neonates that drew you in that direction? Um, so I, I actually, my first job in Wales, my first pediatric training job was as an SHO in um, Cardiff on the neonatal unit. And I think we all do have quite different experiences, even if we follow similar rotations, we're influenced by different patients, different families, different people, um, who, who some of them become your role models. Um, and, I, and, and I still do think that doing neonatology then was formative in some way in my decision. And I remember thinking, having come from England um, for my training as a doctor until that point, never having stepped on a neonatal unit and coming to work there on a very short-staffed SHO road, I remember thinking, blimey, they work a lot harder in Wales than they do in England. But um, I think that's the nature of neonatology and it, people can find it daunting that it's a very intense environment. But I think that is part of the reason I love it so much is that quite intense environment, although it can be quite tiring, quite emotionally demanding. You build these really wonderful relationships with your team, um, with all the people around you, and importantly, with your patients and their families. So it's actually a wonderful job in many ways, but it's also quite humbling to be able to share this really um, intense sort of world um, with, with your team and families. And I think that's where I really found that I, I thrived and even if I was doing a terrible run of many, many nights into long days, into nights, into long days, Tuesday off and back in, um, I would still come home with a sense of feeling really um, rewarded and satisfied, I guess, is the, is the word. So I think um, as a trainee, it can be hard to see the wood for the trees when 
um, you know, you're, you're changing rotation often, you're going from neonates to community to general peds, there's so much to know, it can be quite overwhelming. But if you if you strip it right back and, and take yourself back to that, you know, doctor-patient relationship um, and the children and the families and the babies, I think that's what really um, is at the centre of um, why, why I love neonatology um, and I'm a social beast and working in that that unique team environment really really works for me. I'd echo that and I'd, I'd say as well from a training perspective or a learning perspective you know it is an intense working environment and the SHO rotors are a bit more brutal in um, neonates but I always remember as being an SHO you might have had a heavy run of shifts but at the end of it you knew your patients in intensive care inside out you know you knew everything about them you knew exactly what had happened with them over the last two weeks you could see how the management had affected them what progress they'd made if you know if they deteriorated how you try to help them with that and so as a learning um and a gaining experience and skills opportunity i always always thought neonates despite being more intense gave you an awful lot back uh, I, I think that's yet again fantastic messages from you both about about um you know the neonatal experience it's just incredible isn't it um, I think you, for anyone out there who's considering neonates, I think you've done a really good job of selling it to them. So I think we should probably now head on into talking about the dreaded interview itself. Um, so uh, is it okay? Can we start with um, yourself first this time, Lucy? So what what do you think trainees can do? Um, you know, say they've been shortlisted, they've got an interview coming up, it's a month away. What What do you think trainees should be doing to try and get themselves ready for that interview? So first of all, don't panic. Well done. You've done you've done a huge thing already by getting this. Uh, you know, you've achieved a great thing by getting this interview. So don't panic. Um, again, you've now got your 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 excellent you know application, which has got you this interview. So look, the first thing to say is know your application. Know what your selling points are. Know what you want to slip into that interview to showcase yourself and. Try to crystallize that into a few themes because when you're in the stress of the interview, it's it's hard to remember many, many things. So really know what's on your, your form. And that's very important because the people there on the day won't be looking at your form, won't necessarily have, have seen your form. So they'll be scoring you on what you do on the day. Um, the second thing to say is that do, do that thing again where identify where your weaknesses might be. So the first part of the interview is going to be a critical appraisal of a paper usually. So if you're weak in that area, that's something that quite quickly um, you can you can you can start practicing. You can volunteer to do your um, the journal club in your department. You can just start practicing on papers at home. Um, so target your weaker areas. And the third thing really is, again, we keep coming back to the same thing, speak to people. So the most valuable thing I did in the preparation for my interview was to do a mock interview. So as soon as you find out you've got an interview, take some people who you you trust, but possibly who you're a little bit scared of. Um, <laughs> um, we do a mock interview. And who would that have been for you, Lucy? No, don't worry, you don't need that. Jean Mathers. So um, <laughs> I, I, Jean Mathers and Carol Sullivan very kindly gave me a mock interview. It was an absolutely terrifying experience and I thought it was dreadful, but it definitely <laughs> made me much, much better on the day. So seeing how you react under that pressure 
under that um, sort of environment is really, really valuable. So um, I, I, I'd be delight. I'd be really keen to hear what Chris thinks as well. Um, yeah, I'd agree with everything that you, you've you've said. Um, the interview itself um, is a two station affair. So the first part of it, as Lucy said, is a critical appraisal, and then you get a presentation topic that you have to prepare on the day. And then the second part of it is much more of a sort of classic uh, interview structure where you uh, ask some questions about yourself um, and you're given some clinical scenarios um, to talk through. Um, just to, I think they're trying to get a feel of who you are and, and what you what you can do. Um, I think interviews for, for junior doctors are, qu- are quite hard, daunting things. We don't do an awful lot of them compared to our colleagues in other um, professions. Um, so we don't get very well practiced at them. So they, they are quite daunting. Um, I, I was bricking it before mine. Um, but, um, it, you know, it, it was fine. It was a, a good, fair interview. I wasn't asked anything um, that I didn't think was particularly um, unfair. Um, and, you know, a lot of it, the clinical scenarios were sort of core neonatal um, medicine type scenarios. There's nothing weird or wonderful, wonderful pitched. Um, I think it's just knowing that structure um, and you know that structure from talking to people that have been through it. So as Lucy said, talk to people um, and definitely get at least one or two practice interviews in um, because you're bound to make a mess of um, an interview and it's it's best to do it in your practice and learn from it than not to have practiced and um, get flustered on the day and say something that you don't mean. Um, so I think, you know, practice practice interviews are very beneficial really. And you can actually do that, can't you, Chris? Um, even if you're on your neonatal night shift, you haven't you haven't had a chance to set up that formal mock interview. Say to your reg or your colleague, right, ask me this question. Yeah. And it's just getting used to speaking in that way because one of the pieces of general interview advice people give is uh, dress up, show up, speak up, shut up. And um, a key piece of that is, of course, we often we know to to dress up smartly and comfortably but show up so get there in plenty of time this sounds so silly but once you know you've got that interview if you're in the morning book a hotel in London the night before it may very well be these things are delivered remotely now um, so it's a slightly different time but make sure you've made some plans about where that will be do you have good internet connectivity so make these preparations give yourself plenty of time so on the morning you are clear-headed and you're prepared and you get there in plenty of time. It sounds so simple, but it can really throw you off when you're under pressure. The other thing then is when we say speak up and shut up is this is your opportunity. Once you're in there, you are showcasing yourself, okay? So just remember that, okay? Give yourself a little uh, pep talk before you go in. And there's lots of excellent things online. Um, and Joe, Joe Webb, one of my colleagues, has got some excellent recommendations which I'm sure we can share, of how we power pose and how we pep ourselves up before interviews. And they are really effective to get in that mindset. And finally, for someone, anyone who knows me, someone who finds it very hard to shut up, and I hope this podcast is highly edited, um, (laughs) it really is important to think how you come across. So practice. There's a few questions you might anticipate. Practice saying them out loud to yourself in the car on the way to work. Get them nice and concise and, um, you know, powerful and uh, a bit sexy. So practice those again and again and again. 
record yourself on your iPhone and listen back and you'll start to understand what your vocal tics are. Um, try not to ever speak for more than two minutes in one long monologue, okay? So start doing these things. They really help you on the day. Um, that, that's excellent. Um, excellent advice all around there. I, th I think it's, it is worth highlighting something that you have already alluded to, um, to here, Lucy, is currently, though this podcast might well be up for years to come and this might be less relevant in the future, currently we are in the midst of this COVID pandemic. I've been in um, I've been uh, in chats with people from the Royal College about the effects this is going to have on grid interviews this year. So certain things that that have been more or less confirmed, though trainees should double check with the Royal College webinars and on the website prior to taking this for 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 gospel is first that yep interviews are going to be um, remotely held and virtual. But I still think that the advice you've given, Lucy, completely stands. Even if you don't have to plan about getting a hotel and getting yourself there in time, you still have to get yourself in the right mindset and get yourself, you know, um, clothed, make sure your your computer and your laptop's working, that you've got a good internet connection. You don't want anything to go wrong unexpectedly, even if it is a virtual interview. Um, and I think two other things that we, I've been told by the Royal College, which is likely going to have changed for interviews, at least for this year, is that the stations on um, uh, developing a presentation and doing a critical appraisal probably isn't going to be possible virtually. So those are likely to be stations that will be dropped for this year. But like I said to the trainees who are listening to this, double check that on the Royal College website or listening to the webinars before you know taking that for gospel. Um, sorry, sorry, I just had to throw that in there for everyone else who was listening. Um, uh, I thought what what would be really useful is uh, to find out whether either of you know of any uh, useful resources that can help people get ready for, for interviews. So I'd recommend reading um, anything that's come out in the last 12 months that's um, particularly pertinent to neonates. So any big trials or big pieces of evidence that have been published um, that have uh, changed or may change neonatal practice, I'd read up on those. Um, BAPM, the British Association of Perinatal Medicine, have, are quite prolific with their frameworks and publications as well. So um, there was quite a big uh, BAPM framework that came out in October of last year that um, gave new advice on managing extreme preterm birth. Um, these things are all sort of things that might get you might get asked about an interview because they are, you know, hot topics within neonatology in the UK. Um, and your interviewers are going to want to see that you're showing an interest in those things and that you're at least informed and relatively knowledgeable about those things and can have a, at least a discussion about them. So um, I'd, I'd brush up on, on those sorts of things. Um, I um, agree with Chris. So there's quite a, a, a lot of things that you really do need to spend some time looking into in preparation for the interview. So the as a trainee, the clinical side of things, the teaching, those things you've put on your form, great. But it's really important you look at things like the BAPM frameworks. So particularly things looking at what we talk about when we talk about perhaps quality indicators, levels of care, starting of neonatal unit, you need to be aware of these key papers and what's come out recently. So this is all freely available online if you go on to BAPM. You can join BAPM um, really reasonable rates quite early on and then you're going to get alerts for these sort of things and equally social media 
um, Twitter. You can sign up for things like EB Neo, which is evidence-based Neo, and you'll get alerts to what's coming out. So it is much easier now. But you need to think outside just the clinical things. So recent frameworks have come out, um, as Chris said, on um, infants at the extreme prematurity, often also a recent draft guidance on uh, therapeutic hypothermia. But you also need to think about things like ethics, so do you know um, the, what the process is if you need to go to ethics committee in your hospital? Do you know what guidance is out there? Um, the, there's RCPCH guidance on things when we talk about um, redirection of care. We need to think about things like um, support for parents. So groups like SANS, um, which is an organisation um, for a stillbirth and neonatal death charity, they have lots of excellent resources around supporting families after the, the death of a child. Equally as being aware of the processes around post-mortem, perhaps, perhaps you can access your post-mortem training, that's something else to put in there, but just be aware of what happens perhaps when you need to talk to a coroner. These sort of processes that you don't see in your everyday clinical practice are really important. So BAPM, um, the Nuffield Trust, the, the key Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health um, conferences, and equally um, the Bliss Baby Charter. So we really, really need to think about parental involvement. And we're lucky in Swansea, um, my, my wonderful colleague, Dr. Mansour, um, is, is a big leader in family integrated care. So look into family integrated care, talk to people like Dr. Mansour uh, and learn about it. And you can be signposted to documents. It can seem overwhelming, but you do really need to dig down on some of these, these key um, issues and, and documents and be aware of them. And you don't have to know them inside out. You don't have to know sort of what's on paragraph six of page 19 of the latest BAPM framework on this, that or the other. I think, it's, as Lucy said, it's, it's showing that you're aware of them. You're aware of the principles of what, what's involved um, and you, you have an awareness of how that's implemented. Because as, as we said at the beginning, it's not you're not the finished product. You're going into grid training to become the finished product. But you need to show that you've got a uh, a good base that you're starting from. Absolutely. And I think the key here is don't panic now if you're thinking they're telling me lots of acronyms that are making me think, oh gosh, there's so much I don't know. Um, but talk to people again and they'll signpost you and you can you can you can get a little list of things you really want to tick off. And just don't do it all at the last minute. Get get in there now because some of this stuff does take a little while just to to get your head around. Um, but yeah. Excellent. Uh, I, I thought it'd be useful to know if uh, to to sort of um, learn a bit more about the the actual sort of structure of the interview, how long it lasts for, and and the, um, and the sort of questions that come up. Can you remember much about yours, Chris? Um, well, I mean, as with all interviews, the concept of the normal passage of time kind of goes a bit. So um, <laughs> uh, I think both stations lasted about. 10 or 15 minutes each I think it was about a half an hour long interview in total so it's not it's not a very long interview um uh, as we've said this year it sounds like things are going to be different um so the format and the time scales are going to change obviously as part of that um but um as far as the sort of questions that came up um in the, the station that was the second station not the one about the critical appraisal and the presentation 
Um, I think I was asked a question, a clinical question about um, uh, transferring a baby from a level two unit to a level three unit uh, with um, suspected HIE um, and the, you know how you would go about that, the, the things you'd have to consider um, in stabilizing that baby. Um, so sort of nothing too wacky, really. Um, I was asked a question on um, what I felt about the centralization of services and the impact they, that might have on training. So um, something a bit different there um, and more about sort of the implications, sort of management education implications and that. And I think with those sorts of questions, it's always important that you, you give a, as balanced an argument to it as you can. You don't want to seem like you're coming down on one side of an offence when you've only been given a, a three-sentence-long question because, obviously, things are going to be different. But I think you want, want to show that you can think about a situation like that critically and, and deliver pros and cons because, you know, that's the, that's the nature of life and professional work as a doctor. You know, no situation is particularly perfect. And I think you have to show that you can balance positive and negatives of any situation, really. Um, I do remember that my interview ended off with um, a question that really did stop me in my tracks, which was um, when I was asked what my unique selling point as a neonatologist uh, was, would be. Um, and that was something that I hadn't actually um, thought or, or thought ahead might come up. Um, I'd read all my frameworks and my ethics and um, documents and all the rest of it, but um, that one did throw me. So, you know, it, you have to still think on your feet a little bit in the interview because you might still be throwing a bit of a curveball. And I, I suspect they do that just to see how you react um, partly um, and see how you are under a bit more pressure if, if things are, are going OK in the interview. Excellent. That's really helpful. Um, uh, Lucy, um, I know yours was a, um, a little further back, but is, is, did you have similar sort of themes for the types of questions you had coming up in your interview? Yes, Asim, I hope you're not to, trying to imply I'm now very old. But, uh... I, um, I, I would in no way suggest that, um, though I was trying to be a little bit cheeky with it. So, um, yes, when I did it, um, I, I wrote a reflection afterwards, which many people have asked me for since. So it's quite handy to remember. And I was having a little look at that. So we had this 30 minute critical appraisal. So we got put in a room and quickly appraised the paper, which which is likely to happen in a different format, as you alluded to, Asim, now. And then the next part of the interview was two panels. So I went into each panel lasted 20 minutes each. And there were three interviewers on each panel. Um, and these are generally quite eminent neonatologists. You may even know a couple, though Though in my case, they were largely from the, the north, um, north of England. So I didn't. But you know the names. So just remember, have your game face on, stay calm. And remember, you want to project and pre present yourself um, confidently and competently. And I think just a little tip here. Remember, if they ask you a question and you're panicking in your head, just pause, really think about the question, don't blurt out the th first thing that comes into your head. Equally, if you, you've heard the question, you think, I'm not sure, quite sure what they're getting at here, it's fine to say, could I ask you to repeat the question, okay? So, so that, first of all, so you've got these two panels, it may change now, but it's likely to be some sort of similar setup um, delivered remotely. And they'll ask you several questions. So in my first panel, they asked me quite a lot of questions around the critical appraisal of the paper. But really, they were asking me my understanding of certain terms within within the literature, things like number needed to treat, odds ratio, these sort of things. And those things may still come up even without a dedicated 
critical appraisal element. There were some clinical questions. The important thing is here, I had been out of neonatology for a year in my core training in general and community when I did the interview. But it's still really important. Just take that moment to compose yourself. And what they're looking for is a safe and structured approach to things. So it doesn't matter if you don't know exactly what to do with that CDH as soon as they're born. But you are going to tell them how you're going to organize your team, what preparations you're going to make, where you're going to look up that dose, which framework you're going to to look at if you're not sure of something. So try to structure your responses, okay, um, rather than um, just give one long monologue, um, which can be easier when you're under pressure. And then, as Chris has already mentioned, in my second station, there were some more questions asking me particularly about my CV, what am I most proud of? Um, and in this, it is quite unnatural. You really need to showcase yourself. And again, I come back to the comment I said before, really think about what what you want to try and get into that interview, what you want them to know. If it's that quality improvement project you were really proud of or that teaching qualification you've done or actually a patient experience where the parents came back and said, you know, you made a real positive impact for me. You can have practiced a little bit how you might say those things in a in a concise way. And then as the questions come, what are you most proud of? What what can you offer? What's your unique selling point? It gives you a little bit of breathing space on those questions to have just thought a, a bit about those things. So in the general structure at the time I was doing it was this initial critical appraisal and then two um, panels made up of three neonatologists each. Excellent. Thank you, Lucy. Yeah, you mentioned um, during that that it's useful to have um, structures for some of your answers. And I know that there are, I've never been particularly good with acronyms, but I know that there are ways to structure answers for, for particular types of questions. Um, did either you or, or, or Chris um, have any, any advice you could give to trainees about good ways to structure answers to make them sound neater and clearer? So I think there are actually lots of things out there. And I, I learned a great deal then, obviously, as you said, we don't do many interviews as paediatric trainees. And in fact, all trainees these days, compared to our uh, predecessors who had to interview for every job, every six months, every one year, and we do very few interviews, um, there is there were a lot of really helpful things out there and I don't think there was one particular structure that works but part of the process that I find really helpful is listen to that question and think what are they really asking me here it's very rare they're asking you just for a clinical answer to a clinical problem they'll usually be, be another element to it so take a moment to think what are they asking me is this a sort of challenges and solutions question and if uh, you can identify that um, is it, are they asking me about teamwork here? And when you think about what you want to say, I think a useful quick tip is um, have an opening line that signposts them to what you're going to say next. So if you ask me what my unique selling point is um, or what my interests are, um, I might think of three things. So I'd say, so I think the key things I have to offer are X, Y, and Z. 
and I'd just like to talk to you about those each in turn. So firstly, um, neurodevelopment. So I think this is, and go on from there. So I think that's quite a good general tip. Give a little signpost at the start so they know what's coming because they'll have listened to many interviews that day. I think it's quite grueling for them because there's around, um, well, there's usually around 50 interviews, uh, that, that if not more. Um, and that panel will have two days of lots of interviews. So you're helping them stay with you as well. You're signposting. I'm going to talk about X, Y, and Z, and here I go. Or this is a challenges and solutions question. So I think the challenge here is, and go from there, or I think in this, I think the key issue here is the ethics around um, redirection care and how we can involve parents in that. So I'd like to talk about these three things. So I think that sort of structure can be very helpful. But again, there's lots out there on this. So if you have a little time to read up on structuring interview questions, there's quite a few little books. Again, doing the mock interviews can help. It's just practicing and getting into the rhythm of doing that really helps on the day. I think it's finding what works for you, isn't it? You know, there's no one fit solution for interview technique. It's what, how it interacts with your personality and the way you speak naturally because there's, there's nothing worse than speaking in a way that is not natural to you because it makes you sound stilted and um like it's, it's overly rehearsed you want to sound confident in the interview and natural in the interview because that that brings you across well so as lucy said i think the the practice interviews are a great uh way to find out what works for you um and you can try different techniques um in in those interviews and see see if that's something that fits well with you or not I think also to add to that is if you drop the ball, don't let it psych you out for the whole interview, okay? There may be a question in there that however practiced you are or however you've, you've, you've thought about how will I deal with something I'm not sure, you may feel you've not done a good job of it, but try to keep that attitude or don't let that then go into the next question and the next question, okay? It, it's about recomposing yourself and saying no. This is not going to then affect my whole interview. And sometimes it is very hard because when we feel really nervous and when we really want something, um, that can be the time where it's so precious. You you feel that real um, sinking feeling when you think, gosh, I could have answered that so much better. But instead of looking back, recompose yourself and go forward to the next question. And don't assume you have totally mucked things up because we can have very harsh inner critics of our own. So, so keep your composure and don't let one bad question or one bad um, answer or your perceived um, bad answer trip you up for the whole interview. And, and equally, I know the format is different this year, but for future years, if it goes back to the sort of two-station, two-panel format, if the first panel does not go particularly well and you have not done your textbook definition of an odds ratio and you, or whatever and it's, it's, you feel like you've not done particularly well in that station, just wipe it from your memory before going to the second one because they don't know what's happened. They don't know what you've said in that room and that, that's not, that room is not going to influence their impression of you or their marking of you. So, um, you know, I know this year might be a bit different when it all goes virtual, but um, for future years, you know, it, they are two separate panels. Um, so leave what happened in one room in that room and take a new positive, confident attitude into the next room because that will sell you better. Thank you both. That's, that's some excellent advice there. 
So before we wind this um, this podcast down, did either of you have any final thoughts about uh, the interview process or final bits of advice for trainees? I've been gearing up for um, a Linux application for quite some time. I was lucky that I knew I, what I wanted to, to go into, really. Um, but overall, the application form and the interview process is is fair. I, I didn't think I was asked anything or... Um, or challenge on anything that, that didn't feel appropriate for what I was applying for. So um, I just say to people, don't worry about the unexpected, especially when it comes to interview. You know, they're not looking for the finished article. Um, it is a fair process and they're going to ask you fair questions that are appropriate. They're not going to ask you anything weird or wonderful. And come and do neonates because it's the best. <laughs> Excellent. Nice pitch. <laughs> um, uh, Lucy? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think... Um, Hopefully this podcast has provided some helpful tips, but do get in touch if, if you want to chat some more because people will have specific kind of questions they meant to ask. But really, it's a chance to showcase yourself, but be, be honest. What they want is a safe pair of hands as well. So if you don't know something, don't feel you have to sort of try and blag it. Indeed, don't do that at all. Be honest. If your mind goes completely blank and you can't answer that question at all or you really don't know the answer. You can be honest. They are not against you. They're on your side. So um, echoing what Chris said, really, I think it is a fair process. It can be quite daunting. And the other thing is, if you're not successful, perhaps an interview, um, it can still be a really great experience because you've now had that experience. You will get some feedback from that interview. And it doesn't mean that you can't apply the next year and really focus your efforts into improving on some things you might have perceived to to not gone as well. So, um, yeah, so I think it's a great learning process, perhaps even if, if you're not successful on that first attempt. That's a brilliant message to take away, I think, for anyone. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm more than happy to um, answer any questions that people have after listening to this or support anyone else's application, you know. Come and join the club. You know, we're a friendly bunch and um, come and play with us at Neonates. And equally, if you don't get into the grid, that is not the end of the neonatal dream. We have wonderful hospitals in this country that provide neonatology outside the tertiary units where excellent neonatal skills are essential so there's other options in terms of doing a spin in neonatology so don't don't feel don't box yourself off as if i haven't got it there'll be another opportunity there'll be ways to explore other avenues so a piece of advice for me for all trainees and medical students is found some mentors or some role models and it doesn't have to be in a particular formal format but someone that you trust um perhaps someone that, that's done it before or in a completely different field and just try to get together with them and use them as a sounding board so that you can sort of discuss what your thoughts are where you're going because it's not so much that we're all quite good at giving advice good at giving tips but you're the key person in that process and what you actually need is just someone to sound it off and you can often find the answers there yourself whether it's career planning or bouncing back when things haven't gone so well at an interview or in shortlisting so um please don't be disheartened if things don't don't go perfectly sometimes it's it's actually the start of something wonderful and different to what you anticipated. Brilliant. Thank you very much. 
So as a final note, I'd really like to say neonatology is a wonderful specialty. It's a highly rewarding specialty where we can look after the whole infant. Um, and I would strongly encourage people to consider it. Um, and I finally, I just want to say that I, I, I know it's a cliche, but if you do a job you love, then you never work a day in your life. And that's true. We all have days where it does feel like work. But despite the demands of our jobs, I now have a job that I I really love, is really fulfilling. Um, and so I'd really like to tell all the medical students, more junior trainees out there, please consider neonatology. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be. That is a fantastic sales pitch. I like it. Excellent. Okay. Right. Um, so I think we will call things to a close there. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to the both of you, Lucy and Chris. Thank you, Asim. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Asim. It's been a pleasure. And I just wanted to say thank you to Lucy and Chris Corsair for their fantastic advice on preparing for interviews. We've alluded to a few things during this podcast, but I want to give a bit more advice from things I've heard from the Royal College when it comes to interviews this year, which is 2020, in case you're listening to this much further in the future. Given that we've had the recent COVID crisis, there are a few changes. So interviews are going to be held virtually, so there won't be any traveling to a central location. It's also worth bearing in mind that with certain subspecialties, there were previously interview stations such as presentation or critical analysis. And it seems that this is less likely to be involved in the interview this year. Of course, I can't guarantee that, and it's worth staying up to date with the advice on the Royal College website and through their webinars. So always double check before you take any of this for gospel in case things have changed since this has come out. Hopefully, further into the future, we won't need to worry about this so much, but certainly for 2020, we will. Join us again next week. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites. Mm-hmm.